It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I had to go about it, write it out, and find it myself. And there's some stories I can tell you. This is the final word. Just the final word, not the final word daily, not story time, not anything else, the regular weekly show that we've been doing since we started doing weekly shows, Jeff Lemon and Adam Collins. We're together in Melbourne, um, sitting quietly on a day when it's not that busy. There's one T20 World Cup game in Perth late tonight, which means we'll be up until about 2am watching the cricket. But that's it for today. Yeah, you might be. Uh, I might die if I'm up till 2am. Yeah. We'll have to find a solution for who's going to sit in with you for the, the daily show later. But you're right. Uh, I like the fact that we don't have a camera on us filming uh, yeah. this particular episode because uh, obviously with the dailies, there's an emphasis to make the video product and, and we love doing that. For Seba Super, who are with us for the weekly shows through the World Cup uh, as well. So uh, great to have them on board. Uh, what, what, are we, what, what's that? what are we saying about Seabus? Uh, Making uh, your hard work pay off. Making your hard work pay off. More about them later. Yes, we're using these weekly shows for more interview-based, not sort of time-sensitive stuff. Mm -hmm. Interviews that might be relevant in a year or two from now. We we did that, I think, in 2019. We we saw that as an opportunity to sort of flex those muscles and hopefully, so we will over the next two or three weeks. So on the show today, uh, Ryan Campbell up until recently head coach of Netherlands, still just hanging out with him, just being pals, I guess, um, <laughs> even though he's sort of technically handed over as head coach. But. Yeah, it's an interesting dynamic, isn't it? I think he, he's obviously finishing up officially at the end of the World Cup, but he's yep. been there, you know, like a senior consultant, senior counsellor, you might mm-hmm. say, in politics, but he's got a pretty good team with him. I know Dan Christian has been working with the Dutch team and what great experience that mm. he's had in, in winning stuff. What do you say? Old blokes win stuff. Mm-hmm. He was part of that Australian World Cup squad that won the comp last year. So he's there. So, yeah, they've, they've got a, a good crew of people around them and Ryan Campbell still giving a lot back to cricket, having given enormous amount to associate cricket over the last six or seven years. And you've had the opportunity to 
just to feel slightly Australian again. You've been in Geelong, you've been out in the Western District of Victoria, you popped up to Sydney um, and now you're, you're back near Smith Street getting in touch with your, um, you know, the roots of your 20s, I yeah, suppose. Yeah, my, my other self. Yeah, I'm, I'm, well, we're, we're, we're on a balcony on Smith Street as we record this. It feels like I am at home even though I've been in Australia for whatever it is, eight or nine days now. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, we flew down first thing this morning from Sydney and all the usual hustle and bustle of getting Winnie from one city to another. But we're here now and we're here for about, I think, six days, Jeff, something mm-hmm. like that, and then we go uh, off to Brisbane and Adelaide and, and the rest of the tournament uh, as it'll follow. But, um, yeah, it's nice to be actually in Melbourne, in my home city at last. A few news stories, just a couple of little ones, just a yep. couple of little things going around. Um, there are times in my life when I think I would love to never talk about 2018 again. I'd love to never talk about the Sandpaper series again. Um, but Tim Payne's releasing a book, Faf de Plessis releasing a book. Both of them have got extracts out this morning going yep. around. Uh, relitigating some of that stuff and, you know, and then Tim Payne's talking about the end of his career and as a captain, um, as Australian captain and how that was not exactly as it seemed at the time. I mean, this is a pretty extraordinary story that's coming out from him today. Yeah, look... I'm not surprised at CA if 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 it is as read and there was a crisis comms consultant in there with Nick Hockley that that's how it reads in in Tim Payne's book that doesn't stun me I mean um, crisis communication specialists are brought in for situations like this all the time what's surprising is is that per Payne's account it was the consultant who was driving the conversation and ultimately driving Payne to the conclusion mm. that he had to stand down despite the fact that according to the report and according to what we've heard from Payne last year, they'd kind of had an agreement that when this story blew up that he wouldn't quit, that he'd gone through the, the process that CA had laid out for him in, in 2017 mm. and, and, and again when he became captain in, in 2018 and effectively that, they'd back him in. That they already knew that this was a story that was yeah. floating around and that it could come out at some time. Well, this was our critique at the time, wasn't it? That, it, that CA had that CA happy knew. to keep it under the rug. Yeah, happy so long as it was under the rug and they were happy to let him be captain. But as soon as it came out um, that, you know, I feel like sometimes, I'm not saying this counts for every crisis comms person I've, I've come across, but almost always it's, oh, nah, got to go. <laughs> you know, right. you got to get out one day early, not one day too late. Uh, yeah. It seems to be the... The, the theme of a lot of advice in that time. The sooner you throw yourself on the grenade, the sooner you can make a comeback. But it's a bit different when you're the test captain and you're 37. Yeah. There kind of is no route to come back. He, he either held on and they backed him or he was effectively ending his international career. And, mm. and so it was. I wonder if it's, if it's like that kind of thing. And, and if you're not across the story, it's basically that, yeah, that this outside consultant was on the call with him and Hockley and the consultant was the one telling Payne that he had to resign, that there was no other viable option and that essentially see through Hockley was was letting that letting that view prevail it seems a little to me like for instance when you have lawyers at the newspapers who go through your piece and and tell you to take out bits because you might get sued for defamation there is an impulse to just do something in order to justify your job absolutely because if the job if, if you're appointed for that job and you say nah everything will be cool just carry on as you were then it seems pointless that they engaged you. So you have to do something in order to justify being hired in the yeah. first place. And look, you've got to take the longer term view t- sometimes as well. And of course, we're kind of not even Monday morning mm. quarterbacking this. This is a year hence when you're enough. And I'm not sure where we landed when we discussed this 11 months ago. Yeah. But I think that there are some similarities to Sandpaper in that um, at the time, the sanctions around Warner and Smith and Bancroft, even mm. though they felt harsh, they felt like in keeping with community expectations. Yeah. Now, all these years later, as we've talked about recently, they feel out of step with what 
we think of it now looking back with hindsight maybe right. the same applies for pain that right then right there five minutes before an ashes series was mm-hmm. starting and the graphic nature of the messages and all of that and the naturally the scandalous way that it was reported upon um, and that's fair enough by the way because it was a scandal yeah <laughs> um, there's no denying that but then it felt like yeah i guess he, he should stand down or a lot of people would have formed that view who are outside of cricket maybe yeah but now a year on you can go well you know at its at its core, it is a personal matter between him and his wife on that front, on the um, on the infidelity suggestion and that kind mm-hmm. of thing, and the the workplace harassment bit had been dealt with with CA by that point already. Maybe there should have been some sort of um, tribunal process to assess yeah. that more um, more thoroughly, but to simply just effectively lose his job over it without any kind of rigor to the process. I'm not so sure. Uh, again, it's that I haven't thought about it till today. But, well, e- but maybe equally, we will look back and say that Tim Payne was hard done by. Equally, there was no rigor over the process that supposedly exonerated him privately. A- absolutely, that that's cr- kind of my point. Is that maybe Australia. that should have been the catalyst for the more yeah. thorough process, right? Yeah, like organisations that investigate themselves famously do a great job of it. And they're always <laughs> very accountable. This is—I still don't think, from what I've seen from these excerpts, I don't think that Payne has actually engaged with the real substance of the problem, which is that. We don't necessarily know exactly what was going on in that relationship between the different people involved in this, but if there's a bad enough impression, if there's an impression that things might have been particularly unpleasant then and you're a public figure, then you need to address the possibility of that. And what you've got is this situation where multiple people at Cricket Tasmania, including him, were all sending sexual messages yeah, and yeah. making sexual comments to this woman. She'd already lodged a complaint about other people doing it in the workplace. And so we don't know if this is actually the case, but there's a strong possibility that him doing it is part of a broader culture of people saying it's okay to do it to her. There's a power imbalance. She's the receptionist. He's... The he's a test captain. Well, he, at that time he wasn't, but yeah, yeah. Test, cr- test cricketer, absolutely. But he gets picked, he's, he's a test cricketer at the time that he sends these messages. Yep. And even though they, they always run this line that it's consensual, the messages themselves show that there's there's some pretty uh, low-key correspondence from her and then he goes suddenly to a graphic sexual part of the correspondence. And that is like sending someone a picture of your cock is a sexual act. You know, it's not a physical, it's not in person, but it is a sexual act. And if you brandish a sexual act at someone who who hasn't invited it and doesn't want it, then that is not a good thing to do, you know. And that and they keep not actually addressing that. They keep saying, oh, it was a private matter between me and another person and I let my wife down. But that's not actually the biggest part of the problem. Like I don't, you know, I have unorthodox views about monogamy. I don't care about necessarily what people do in their own relationships. But it's 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 that other part of it. It's It's forcing your sexual interests on somebody who may not actually be interested in them that is the problem and that's what they keep not addressing. Yeah, and, and I think we, we said we both said as much when we had this much longer conversation um, last year when going through it when, when the story broke. I, I share all of those views. I suppose it's more just from a perception, the PR yeah. bit. PR piece yeah. that but that's why I think it was untenable. That's why I think they were right. right. That he couldn't carry on as test captain because because there is a, at least the possibility of more substantial wrongdoing than just you shouldn't be messing around behind your wife's back. Yeah, yeah, right. So the personal bit you're less interested in as, no. as the as the public. And look, I'm not, and I'm not trying to draw a false equivalency here when I use the next person's name, but we did have that conversation about Joe Clark and when there's when you are a public figure, whether it's right or wrong, there's an expectation that you're 
recompense is public as well mm. and Payne's embarrassment was public yeah. and like you say in these extracts that we've seen so far and of course we haven't read the book he speaks of uh, being a much better husband now and, and you know the the personal bit is all sure. very out there publicly but I'm not sure it might be might well be the case this is, this is addressed in the book we're actually not sure so we shouldn't get we shouldn't assume that Payne hasn't gone into this in, in the text but at least this story is now percolating again uh, yeah. as is the, the ball tampering piece of this Jeff and we don't have huge amounts of time to discuss it because we've got our interview coming up in a moment but interesting that Payne's pivot on this was well well first of all he didn't shy away from the everybody tampers critique which everybody mm. knows anyway um i'm looking forward to when um there's some sort of real analysis done on reverse swing in the post march 2018 world because mm. there'll be some good stats out there and some good stories i suppose as well from those who are involved in the game and how they've had to change their mo since sure. what happened in in cape town but also asserting alleging that the south africans were picking the same in the next test match and that Supersport mysteriously lost the tape I mean, I haven't heard that one. No, that one's new. That, 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 that all, I don't know, I read that and that jarred a bit. I'm like, well, yeah, the suggestion that they were sort of burning tape of the South African team picking the seam, I mean, again, there is a false equivalency there too, isn't there? Picking the seam and sandpaper in the ball yeah. are, are two pretty different things. I'm not saying that Payne isn't entitled to raise that given it hasn't been in the public domain before, but, you know, it, it isn't. It isn't one thing justifying the other either. Well, it is an extremely consistent uh, occurrence that the teams that get done by TV broadcasters for ball tampering are almost always the visiting teams. The only counterexample I can think of is Michael Atherton um, in England yep. with the dirt in the pocket. That's the only one off the top of my head where the home team has been done by the home broadcaster. That least. was a photographer. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I met the bloke um, he, at London 2012. He was uh, there you go. at the venue I was working at. He was the venue photography manager and he told me, a Canadian fella, Greg, and he told me one day, you won't believe, like, I, I have nothing to do with cricket. I've lived here for 20 years, but I used to occasionally shoot test wow. matches and I was the one that was shooting the day that uh, there was the dirt in the pocket. Farago with the, with the England captain at the time. You go, what? I go, what? Yeah, so that, that was originally was Stills, which they then later found um, vision to match with, I ma- marry up with. Yeah. Once, once they had the Stills, so. they had to produce yeah. the vision. But Which yeah. was inconclusive, by the way, which is why sure. Atherton didn't get, well, we spoke about it briefly with him at Christmas last year. That's why yeah. he didn't kind of get more forcefully punished because well, there, there was wasn't like, conclusive evidence. It was also because he went in and told the match referee that that's not what he was doing yeah. when it was what he was doing. So, you know, um, Peter Burge was the match referee then and said later on that if he'd known what was actually happening, he would have banned Atherton, but he was misled at the time. So, Yeah, I, I just think this this story, each time a player in the Australian side retires who was in that dressing room mm. in, in Cape Town in 2018, they're going to write a book. They'll put it in the book. And, and they'll give their account of what's yeah. in the book. What's going to be really interesting is when we get the full account of what went on kind of in the four walls of that dressing room sure. after play that night when they had to make a decision. The suggestion's always been that there is more than meets the eye, mm-hmm. that there was suggestions from some that there'd be some collective responsibility taken. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, uh, the opposite played out uh, and we know what happens next. And you wrote an entire book about it, Jeff. I, I did. And and I thought, you know, it, it was notable that I read the, the excerpts from Faf's book and that he... It was like he was at the time. He was very gracious about it, really, during the series itself. He just said, you know, look, I don't want to be too judgmental. We've done dodgy things in the past. You know, we, we can't judge anybody. And he pretty much said the same thing in his book. You know, we've we've all done things. We've all pushed the boundaries. And so we can't come down on anyone too hard. And as it was in 2014, when both teams were 
tampering the shit out of it at different times. Yeah, and, and that's right. It kind of comes down to the idea that um, when we, we, we remarked upon this last week, I think, Jeff, that the ban for ball tampering then, mm. according to the ICC's yeah, penalty yeah. points was was pretty minor. Yeah. It was a long way down the card, right? Yeah. Um, compared to what it is now, which is yeah. automatic suspension and all the rest. I think it was three to four points. So it was yeah. maybe a test match if you were uh, if you if got you had the, the stiffest penalty. Yeah, 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 that kind of thing. So I'm sure we'll hear a lot more about sandpaper for probably the next ten years. Probably when Nathan Lyon retires in, <laughs> in ten or twelve years and, and and is the last one to write a book out of it with uh, eight hundred and one test wickets to his name. Yeah, exactly. After he takes eleven in his final <laughs> test. I think one of our first editions of The Final Word, it might be one of those that you've been dropping into the feed, like it'll come up eventually. I reckon season one when we were recording at ABC Studios, I said something like, here's the way Nathan Lyon can overtake Morley. We we sat down and did the numbers on it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We had lunch one day before we recorded and and I can't remember who threw the idea into the middle, but we were like... If he were to do it, how would he do it? How would you get there? And we wargamed it and we figured out if he played till about 40, it could just be possible. Um, Yeah, we said if he goes at an average of X and there's this much test cricket and, you know, he he keeps getting selected as the first choice spinner. I think I yeah. think it was about 40. Yeah. How old is he now? 35? 30, yeah, four or five. Does yeah. that line up? But he's missed because they've lost quite a few test matches over the last few years, so that doesn't help. Well, what's he on now? So he's on 440-ish. So 440-ish. So yeah. how many how many tests are they playing a year these days? Sorry, Australia Woodstock, are playing... Woodstock 440. <laughs> Australia are playing 40 in the next FTP cycle, okay. I think I'm right in saying. All right. So that's the next four years. Okay. So let's say... And he's got to get 300 and... 60 He's not going to get 360 wickets. test wickets in, in four years. Matches, no. if, if you extrapolate that out, yeah. let's say he took 70 more test matches. I mean, I know he's already played about 109. For he f- maybe could, if he, yeah, if he took, say, five per test. On he probably would need to play 200 test matches like Tendulkar did. <laughs> so he'll break Tendulkar's record and he'll break Murley's record. Imagine the fucking shitstorm <laughs> on the internet if Nathan Lyon broke Sachin Tendulkar's games record. That would be something else. I'm still getting in trouble for the other night. Um, being complimentary of Richard Kettleborough for the way that he adjudicated the stumping. Oh. Because I had the temerity well, the to say that correct. I think he handled that really well yeah. and came to the correct decision. And I'm still copying Pelters in my replies about oh, it two and a half I days mean, later. The, the amount that people don't know about the laws of cricket and then think they know about the laws of cricket, they're like, that's not a stumping because he took the ball in front of the stumps. He picked it up off the ground, genius. Oh, no, I mean the other one. I'm talking about the, the one with, um, was it Akshar Patel? No, he was, oh. Akshar's run out. What was yeah, the one? Was run out. What was the one? Not, uh, oh, yeah, that, it was the Akshar run out. It was the run out where the throw came in and oh, deflected yeah. off, off Rizwan's gloves. Into the stumps. And I was like, well, you look at which order the lights went on, it's pretty clear to me that the, the light, the bail going off mm-hmm. is clearly the ball because the light... Yep. On the stump where the glove is goes on next. So, yeah, it's all pretty easy. Right. I like how he did that. That's quite sure. clever. Well played him. Difficult decision. Mm-hmm. You could lose your rag in a situation like that if you're a Got third umpire. Right. Goodness gracious me, we've seen many third umpires oh, yeah. lose their nerve in, in those yeah. in those tight situations recently. Part of why I always argue that they should be a specialised position. But Kettle Brent could have nailed it, right? Yeah. And, you know, credit to him. Mm-hmm. And I'm still copping it. Yeah. <laughs> well. I so mean- if, if Nathan Lyon goes beyond Sachin Tendulkar. Yeah. Dare to dream. Well, I've I've been getting the same about um yeah about the stumping like the, about the Dinesh Kartik stumping saying that oh yeah yeah because he picked the ball the up in front yeah. of the but wicket. it hit him 
Yeah, it's already yeah. hit the batter and yeah. it's rolling on the ground. You're allowed to pick it up. Like that only Imagine you weren't allowed to pick it up, yeah. like Marseille, Marseille, sort of like, you know. Yeah, like you've got to call someone in from mid-wicket because the keeper's not allowed to come in front of the stumps. Like what do you think happens when the keeper runs in front of the stumps to take a catch? Yeah. Absolute genius material, brain geniuses on the internet. And then they're also telling me that um, uh, that, that the waist-high no ball is, is judged on at what point the ball hits the bat. No, it's not. There's nothing in the laws that they say, oh, the point of first contact indicates the height of the delivery. No, it doesn't. Find that in the laws. Send it to me. It's, it's not a little in there. bit like yeah. It's, it's the batter standing upright at the crease in their natural batting stance. Yeah, it's a bit like yeah, like benefit of the doubt going to the yeah. batter. It's like it's a convention. Yeah, it's when you can't provide conclusive evidence to provi- uh-huh. to give the batter out. Like that's cool, but yeah, in situations like the other night, it's not as though the benefit of the doubt goes with the batter necessarily. It's the umpire's decision to work out whether the, whether the batter's out or not. I just love when people say it is this. This is how it works, and you're like, I read the laws a lot. Were you and there I know for, that you don't. I, I, don't so. think you, I don't think you... Were you back for Mancad? No, you, you're in, oh, you're overseas for that, weren't you? you weren't I was around. following it closely. No, the, but what had happened... Were you there? Were you? Well, I can't remember whether you were recording or were you in the desert still when Deep I, I wasn't um, recording with you because Norcross was, but I was following it. I was posting the episode. Right, so you were back out of the desert, yeah, is my yeah. point. Right, so yeah, I, I, I made the error of mm. tweeting about it about 10 minutes after it happened. Yeah. And I deleted that tweet 15 minutes after it happened. <laughs> my life is too short <laughs> to spend the next two days um, uh, in my replies, deep in my replies, um, being called a God knows what for mm-hmm. thinking it's broadly a good idea that non-strikers should stay at the, at the non-strikers end till the ball's released. Yeah, I know. Um, sometimes anyway. it's not worth it. Anyway, right. sometimes you kick, sometimes you get kicked. Uh, that's, that's, that's the way the world works. Um, but I like that there's now a broadly national split that largely India is now pro running out the non-striker. Um, yeah, because that's good. Because it's become a, a kind of national pride issue. That's, that's quite um, amusing to me. I mean, if Charlie Dean runs out Deepthi Sharma at the non-strikers end at the T20 World Cup Hell next yeah. year, that might change the I know. impression somewhat yeah i was really i t- that's one thing i did tweet in the hustle and bustle of sunday night because last ball of the game mm. it was poor old uh Nawaz bowling mm-hmm. at ashwin mm-hmm. and Kylie was at the non-strikers end who doesn't back up by that i mean he leaves at the right time he watches the ball yep. out of the hand he's, he's very yep. he's he's sorry. immaculate between the wickets immaculate there you go and i thought i'd just love him to pretend to run out the non-striker there <laughs> just for a laugh <laughs> Cam Ponsonby, our, our uh, very clever young colleague from England, is out here covering the World Cup. Did a screen grab yesterday where he where he pulled out Coley and put him halfway down the pitch and said, "Oh, missed opportunity for Pakistan from the final ball." And of course, I got involved on it because I couldn't help myself. Yep. And a number of people were quite earnestly telling me, "No, oh. no, no!" But that, that's that's a that's a that's, that's been, been tampered with. Oh. That's been tampered. No, 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 no. That's no, like no. the moon landing. That, that, no, no, I'm not. That, that's real. Like, look, it's pretty clear. He's. He's 10 yards out of his crease. He should have been ran out off the last ball. It was one of my favourite stories I read recently was about how Steph Curry, the basketball player, was on a podcast at some point and he, he made a sort of mostly joking reference to like maybe the moon landing was faked and he said like, I don't know, the next day or something he got a call from Barack Obama. <laughs> it was like, Steph, Please stop the saying moon this. landing was not faked. <laughs> like literally the president rang him and he's like, you have to retract that. Please, People yeah. look up to you. you you have to tell them that that's Please not true. Please don't say things like that. And he's like, I'm sorry, I will think about what I say yeah. next time. Yeah, you forget sometimes the power that, that you know, mm. influences wield, you know, wield in, yeah. in, in that well, space. Well, I'll, I'll tell you one. Um, Colin Ackerman for the Netherlands was 
an absolute man candidate. He was miles out of his ground was every he? time. The quicks coming into bowl when they're playing Bangladesh, yeah, you know, yeah. Tuxan Ahmed and Tuscan Ahmed and so on, running into bowl and like you know in the sort of getting into the load up, like they haven't even started bringing the arm up and he's a foot out of the crease and just heading off. Like he could have been run out a hundred times in that innings the other day. So last question on all of the kerfuffle we started with, yeah. Tim Payne, Nick Hockley. The, yeah. This is this is the line from Payne um, saying Nick chimed in saying how experienced this guy was, the PR guy, and how he thought I should listen to his advice. Advice. I said, "Do you want me to resign as Test captain, Nick?" He couldn't give me a straight answer, or wouldn't he? Kept t- talking around in circles, and th- that does sound like Nick Hockley. He's someone, it stacks he's so- up, doesn't it? He's yeah. someone who struggles to say it how it is at times. He's not good under pressure um, when it comes to speaking. And, yeah, you can – I mean, we've sat on a lot of Zooms with Nick Hockley during, during COVID and so on, and that is the way that he reacts when he's under pressure. I mean, this, it's fairly damning to say that the CEO is sitting there letting a, an outside consultant pull the trigger. I mean, does, is Nick Hockley's job under pressure from this? Yeah, I'd just say that it, it cuts across the impression that we got of Hockley from 12 months earlier – so remember, when India are here in mm. 2020, 2021, he holds the line and he's tough as yep. a, across the table at the BCCI sure. and he doesn't relent and he earned a lot of credibility that summer when he was mm-hmm. acting chief executive on the basis of how tough he was behind closed doors. And I know a lot of people like that who aren't particularly impressive behind the microphone, but you put them around the boardroom table or more to the point in my former life around sort of a, a meeting room with other powerful people, important people. You right. know, you see ministers who aren't much chop when they're in, in a press conference, but they're incredibly effective anyway and that's why governments need people like that. They're kind of, uh, sure. you know, the, the, they're the types that get stuff done. And Hockley sort of struck me that way. In turn, I've been quite forgiving of him with, with his communication skills. I've been kind of like, well, he, str- he reminds me of those kinds of ministers who right. aren't going to kind of razzle and dazzle you. They're not going to give you a great grab for the for the six o'clock news, but they'll get shit done. Mm. But this is the opposite of that mm-hmm. because instead of taking, if this, if this account, it's very hard to say if this account is proven to be true because, of course, I, I doubt there's a recording of it. Surely there wouldn't be a recording of it. Yeah. But if Payne's account <laughs> is... imagine in, the little, like, prompt comes up, this meeting is being, being recorded, recorded. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just at this point. You know, if Payne's impression tallies with what actually happened, that, yeah. is, that is very different. Like him effectively acquiescing to a consultant. I mean allowing someone who has been brought in. Again, it's not without precedent for crisis comms people to be dragged into situations like that. Don't get me wrong. But they're not the people steering the ship. It's like letting a focus group determine what your policy is. You don't let a focus group tell you what to do as a government. You use a focus group to get a sense of whether it's going to work or not with in Punterland, in Voterland. Well, you don't let them decide, oh, hang on, um, that, uh, you know, the focus group said that, so we're going to... That's not how it actually happens, contrary to what you see on TV. It was, it's like um, Mickey Arthur and Michael Clark letting the team manager and, and a bunch of, you know, the physios... Well, they all got to vote, didn't decide, they? The media manager Decide who vote. got suspended. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It, it, it does jar if Nick did offer that much authority to someone mm. on that call, especially someone who wasn't known to pain beforehand. And didn't take the lead and didn't say, this is what we want, but instead waffled it, about it. It's going to be, Jeff, fascinating when the name of this um, crisis consultant comes out. There are some pretty high profile, I'm not going to name any of them because I don't want to get in trouble, but there are, I've been doing the maths in my head as to who I, who I think it probably is. Right. And if it is, well, there'll, there'll be scrutiny. 
mm. like appropriate scrutiny on on how that came to pass. But we'll see. Mm. Um, it, it might might be someone they got out of the phone book that morning. But I've just got a feeling. I'll, I'll tell you when we stop recording what my <laughs> gut feeling is on who who was probably providing advice that day. Yeah, flip open the yellow pages and go to Double A Aardvark Crisis <laughs> Consultants. It's <laughs> 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 the first available. Um, right, we'll see. Uh, before we get to Ryan Campbell, let's play a little bit of Nerd Pledge. This is the game that we play with people who listen to this show, the ones who decide to help us fund it, bless their hearts. And they do that by sending in contributions that are a number that relates to cricket in some way. And we have to figure out what it is. This is a double header because Tim Harding has sent through $2.99 in USD. Yep. And Danish Babar has sent through 2.99 in pounds and that's worth roughly the same sure. amount now so yeah, well, I mean, well, you, you, well don't even joke about it although the pound did pick up a little bit overnight with them <laughs> deciding they're going to have a they're deciding they've changed prime minister again it's quite quite funny how that happens you have a yeah. you, they announce a, a new prime minister. we're quite used to the cycle now in mm, the uk the dead cat bounce. Um, you, you get the, you get the little bounce on the pound when the new pm's announced and then it slowly falls <laughs> off a cliff in the weeks and months that, that, that follow anyway or very quickly Falls off a cliff. Can you slowly fall off a cliff? Yeah. I mean, that's yeah, a, maybe, maybe on a hang glider. Yeah. It's, the angle isn't as acute as, mm. it, as it might be if you fell off a cliff, but we'll see how long the pound you know, looks like it's in even vaguely good shape compared to where it was a few weeks ago. Mm. I always thought that uh, the British pound would be a good name for an, an adult actor, you know. Yeah. Get yeah, ready well. For the British pound. I saw someone saying earlier, you know, the weak pound and mm. various <laughs> different plays on that. Weak pound, leave unsatisfied, <laughs> something like that. Right. Uh, 299. That's what we've got. It could mean 299, could mean uh, 2.99, could mean all kinds of things. Could be about when Don Bradman made 299. It could be um, something that we've uh, <laughs> done. We before. did a forensic <laughs> audit of Bradman's yeah. 299 not out and, and how it took place. Because the number 11 gets run out. Yeah, yeah, coming back for a second or. Man, Third. Maybe a third, I reckon, to get yeah. Bradman back on strike or something like that. Yep, yep, um, uh, and, and it doesn't quite work out. So two ninety nine. We've got two pledges. We've we've got a couple of answers. What have you got? Well, I mean, I'm going to stick with um, the two ninety nine and keep us keep it clean, keep it okay. easy, right? So yeah, straight. We've referred to the Martin Crow two ninety nine quite a few times <laughs> in passing because. We had the Brendan McCullum Triple Hundred yeah. on the show what month ago, two months ago, when I was in Daniel's mm. living room, and we often refer to the two ninety nine in the context of the kind of the grief that Crow experienced yeah, for making two ninety nine, and how he reconciled that before he passed away. But I don't think we've actually gone into the innings before. Mm. I, I, I don't propose we sit here for twenty minutes talking about it because most people would have a, a bit of a sense of it. But yeah, I mean, it was the highest score for New Zealand in Test cricket, so it was a serious thing. And the other point here, which I didn't quite clock is that it wasn't that long after he became captain so in my mind mm. martin crow's the captain of new zealand from kind of like 1988 or something like that but john wright has the job formally until early 1990 because right. martin crow you know is the, the kerfuffle down at somerset where the year that viv richards isn't available crow goes down there make up there rather makes a fuckload of runs and mm. then there's the roebuck and starts to have his back problems that year i think as well yeah but they decide to retain him the following year when richards is available um that what what was the, the touch paper over the somerset scandal of 86 was when roebuck was captain saying that well actually as much as we've loved Viv and Viv's been an absolute hero of the club this younger man martin crow is a superstar we should go with him on a longer deal, he's got yeah. better availability because Viv's often got times when he can't play. And, of course, that, that leads to all hell breaking loose at Taunton and, and 
both of them leaving the club, Richard's leaving the club. Emergency general meeting. Emergency general meeting. All all the rest of it, right? But, yeah, it's partly due to – so kind of based on that timeline, the fact that Crow had been there with uh, the New Zealand sides under Jeremy Coney who had been successful – uh, both in England in 86 and Australia in, in 85, 86. And, you know, he, he'd yeah. been around for a while by then. I just assumed he'd be captain, but mm. he wasn't. It was 1990. So when they play or host Sri Lanka in 1991, it's only his second series in charge. So, yeah, it's huh. relatively early in the in the Crow era right. when he when he makes this gigantic score of 299. And it's similar to McCullum's in the sense that we know with uh, – in that test match, India had a huge first innings lead yep. and, and New Zealand were, were way behind the mark, or at least... Five for bugger all. Yeah, I think it wasn't so much the first innings lead, it was that India made 600. It was the third innings when McCullum makes the... So New Zealand get bowled out cheaply. Oh, that's right. Yeah, India yeah, yeah. make 500 or 640 600, 600 even, yeah. And then, and then um, New Zealand are five down for, you know, 250 or thereabouts when he comes in. And yeah, that's right. So they're, they're so far in the red and, and McCullum and, and Watling and, you know, we told that story recently. It's kind of similar here. So they had a 323-run deficit on the first innings and then they just batted two days in the third innings to, to bat it out. They finished making 671 for four, which was at the time wow. the highest ever score in the third innings of a test match, which makes sense when you think about it yeah. because often in the third innings you're looking to set yeah. the game up and declare or you're holding on like you're not right. usually batting like that long to i suppose yeah. they formed the view at some point on the fifth day that it wasn't worth declaring and having a pop it would have maybe opened the game up to a chase for sri lanka yeah you're maybe not scoring big even if you're batting long at that point and, yeah. and it, does, it it fits with some of those new zealand surfaces as well where they're lively on the first day and it moves around a bit and then they absolutely die in the ass by about day three or four yeah yeah and he, and he had a um, as uh, mccullum had watling uh, Crow had uh, Andrew Jones with him, not the Andrew Jones who went on to become an administrator with Cricket New no. South Wales and Cricket Australia. Not ACX he, Jones. Although he did play a high level of cricket, played first class cricket. His old man played. Cricket, yeah. His old man played for Ireland. Andrew Jones. I sat next to his old man at the dinner once. He's a lovely huh. fella. Um, they moved out. He, I think he played for the Irish national team. At the very least, he, he was at the top level of mm. Irish cricket before they emigrated. Um, I think it was in the 60s. Anyway. The other Andrew Jones was a fine player, made twin tons in a test at one He point. did, he did. And he was in this partnership with Crow, which was worth 400, and I've written it down somewhere, 467, which was the highest partnership in test cricket at that juncture. That Jesus. was for the third wicket. So now these were serious numbers that they were posting throughout. And Crow went on to bat for 523 balls for 10 hours and... Yeah, falls one run short. So, you know, 29 boundaries, three sixes. It's a dominant innings. But who gets him out, Jeff? I mean, you know, you're thinking, well, it's going to be, you know, the opening bowler or the primary spinner. No, it's Arjuna Ratatunga um, (laughs) bowling absolute fucking filth. I know Arjuna bowled useful medium pace, but this is just a delivery that Crow's trying to steer down the third man uh, and he's caught by Hush until Kratna, who I didn't realise was a wicketkeeper before he was a a middle-order player, diving away to his right and Crow's like, he's stunned as anyone walking off the ground um, the footage, mm. you know, as usual, it's described erroneously as a tragedy uh, on the television so it's call. The, it's like the Jeff Thompson at the MCG, the, you know, the sort of half, like a half tracker sitting up that he just tries to prod away. It, it's probably slightly it. better than that, but put it this way, Tiller Krutna is standing as far back as Rizwan was for the final over from Nawaz the right. other night. Uh, it, it's that pace no more. Sure, sure. Uh, it's genuine, like what would be described on television in the 90s as right arm slow, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, but yeah, he was the man that, that picked up 
uh, Martin Crow for 299, which was the New Zealand record for a very long time. Uh, and yeah, it was the start of his captaincy. And as we know, he went on to make a century uh, at uh, Eden Park. So that innings was played at the Basin. Uh, and right. Eden Park was where he made his tons of start the 92 World Cup. And there were endless comparisons to that the other night when New Zealand bounced Australia in that first game because, of course, that's what they did when they hosted the World Cup with Australia back in the 50-over format. And, yeah, there you go. Martin Crow 299. Martin Crow 299. I, I went with the decimal point in a different spot because I thought about Graham Swan and a career test bowling average of 29.96. Oh, yeah. So if you were conventionally rounding, you'd round up to 30. But if you're a wisdom rounding where you can't uh, give a player anything that they didn't actually get, then you would have to come down to 29.9 if you wanted to do it in, in one decimal place. I wonder, yeah, how would, how would it work if... So in that scenario... No, right, yeah, so it's not acting on... So the, so what, what so he, he was 29.96. So he never conceded the extra fraction of a run to go to 30. So you yeah, so you if, you, if, you were, if you were rounding it to... No decimal point, mm-hmm. like just a whole number. 30. It would be thirty, but Wisdom wouldn't do that. Wisdom no. would still say twenty nine because he didn't reach the thirtieth no. run to be conceded. And of course, that's a big threshold for a you know a Huge. proper bowler. You you don't want to average over thirty. That's when you're in the the this slightly sort of jobs worth category. You know, you, you, I mean, there are some decent bowlers with slightly thirty plus averages, but you want to be in the twenties. That's where you want to Absolutely. be. Absolutely. And I, I I enjoy this I enjoy this number because of just how close runner thing it was. Graham Swan, two hundred and fifty five test wickets, seven thousand six hundred and forty two runs conceded. Going into his final test match in twenty thirteen. At the so WACA. Perth, yep. And this is the one where he's later saying that he can't hold the ball. He's got yep. nerve damage in his arm and, and he can barely feel it in his fingers and can't spin it. But up to a certain point, while the Australians are batting in the third innings, piling on declaration runs after a big first innings lead, he's going okay. He's bowling quite nicely. He's bowled 23 overs. And he's got one for 51. Mm-hmm. So he's only going at 2.2 and over in a test match, even though they're batting for declaration runs. And that's fine. And then... It's overnight, day three, and then it's the start of day four. Okay. And then Shane Watson comes out, Swan's first over of the day, four, four, six, all just big, meaty hits down the ground. Swan bowls to Smith for a couple of overs, and they're quiet. He only bowls one ball to Watson in the next two overs, and Smith barely scores a run off him. So, you know, okay, that's fine. He's steadied, and then Watson comes back on strike. Straight drive down the ground for four, first ball, and then he thumps three sixes, just huge hits, just all <laughs> straight hits. He's like, you're not very good anymore. And I'm just going to keep hitting you over the fence because we are getting declaration runs. So 22 off the over, and that's when Swan says, you know what, I'm good. Take me out of the attack. I'm done. And so this is the key point. At that moment, he is eight runs away from a career average of 30. If he bowls one more over that (laughs) day and Shane Watson gets one more look at him and he concedes eight more runs... He's averaging 30. I, I guess career. that makes sense, but, I mean, does your onboard computer clock that if you're Graham Swan? I've never asked him. I, I'm sure he'd tell us. I doubt, um, I doubt he would have known But, but it's the, the sort number. of thing, you, but you might. I mean, but he Because he, he, he has subsequently said that he pretty much knew he was cooked at Perth, right? So he yeah. might have in the back of his mind... I mean, no, cricketers, close. cricketers do things like this. He yeah. might have done the numbers himself and worked out. If I don't take another wicket, yeah. when I hit one for X, then I go above 30. Maybe it's plausible, but he wouldn't. He might not have factored in the, the one wicket. He might have. Um, but did he get he a wicket that morning? He, he got it the previous, previous night. Day. So when he goes to bed that night, that's okay. what I'm trying to say. Oh yeah, maybe he looks at it at that point and thinks, "Yeah, mm, there's okay. a guy I've played with, Jonathan Wilson. I think yeah. he listens sometimes. Brilliant football writer, 
Um, and he can, as he, he plays for the authors, as he takes his wickets in games, you know, it's, 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 it's proper cricket. They're properly yeah. sanctioned games, but it's not in a league or anything like that. He will be able to tell you down to two decimal points what his career bowling average is from when he started <laughs> playing as a kid. <laughs> so if he's got even a, even a, even a skerrick of Jonathan Wilson about him, Graham yeah. Swan, he would have known that. What, what's, what was the magic figure there? What would have set him over the top? Eight, eight more runs. Which would have taken him to 7,000. After he's been batted for uh, 14 off one. No, sure, but what would, have been the, the what would have been the sum for his whole career? 7,500. It would have been 7,650. 7,650. For yeah. 255. I can, I, can, I can see Graham Swan. I, could, I, I reckon he might have known. Okay. Let's find out. Well, he, he chose a good moment to take himself out of the attack. In Did you case. see the catch Swan he took last week? No. He's been. Assistant coach in the European Cricket League over okay. over in uh, Malaga, okay. and he must have set himself up for it because I think he took one the previous day where there's a hill there where it's a cow corner, and he set it up that when the six was hit over there, he ran at full tilt and took the catch and gave it the big ones on television. But <laughs> I think he took a catch there in a similar spot two or three days earlier, and he just was more low, low-fi, low-key about it, but, yeah, was willing to celebrate the second time around. Should have um, dropped the one off Ashton Ago if he had any decency <laughs> on 98. But um, anyway, he, he said, whether he knows or not, he says he's had enough and he, he doesn't bowl again in the innings and he yeah. calls it quits at the end of the test and manages to keep that mark below 30. As he goes off into retirement, um, Shane Watson goes on to take apart James Anderson and Ben Stokes as well. That day, that morning, he goes from 29 off 66 balls to 103 off 108. So he scores 74 runs from 42 balls on the fourth morning of a test match. And didn't he get out comically, comically as well? He, he was dropped in an Huge ear bell, pinned the stumps down or something? Huge top edge off uh, Bresnan, I think. And it goes miles up in the air and Ian Bell's standing in the middle of the pitch and drops it. And then Watto's just forgot to run because he's just standing next to Ian Bell waiting for him to take the catch. And then he looks at Bell and Bell looks at him and then they race and Bell picks it up and throws down the stumps at the end that Watson's running to and he's out for 103. But he did get one of his four test hundreds right. that day. Oh, yes, because we've worked out how many – we've worked out what the attendance was. When I had that figure of like yeah. 48,000 people click cumulatively saw Shane Watson make test hundreds. Yeah. I think that was the biggest crowd. Yeah. Oh, no, sorry, I think the Oval 2013 was... The more. Oval, yeah, it was the Oval, yeah. there was Mahali. And there, there were a couple was, with yeah. not that many people there. Yeah, and the one against yeah. Pakistan. And then, you know, George Bailey goes on to have his tennis over against James Anderson. When six, he, two, he six, four, four, six, four, 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 six, two, four, six, six. It doesn't quite work. He's, he's massaged the figures. Oh, has um, he? Uh, he's massaged the order. See, that's funny because he, he doesn't he often... In his after dinner speaking, yeah, he's yeah. like, well, you know, six, two, six, four, six, four or something is like it, that. Because he's got a four... He's got two fours and a two in there, so he can go six four, um, two, you know, two six six four. But that's not right. the order. The order is actually four six two four six six. So you know, unless they abandoned the second set halfway through, it doesn't quite work. But, Myth busting. But twenty eight off the over has the record until Jazzy Jasper Boomer makes takes thirty five off Stuart yeah. Broad um, the other month. When we were in Sri we Lanka and getting the news through, and we're on the beach one day. It might someone texted through saying, Broad's just gone for 35 off and over. I'm like, what? What? What's going on? Yeah. Just on Swan, I think he's the best finger spinner I've ever seen, certainly in my my time following cricket. Like, yeah. It can't be like overstated just how good he was. And I think that's because England waited. Like mm. He first toured in 2000 with the England side and played a one-dayer in, in South Africa when he was like yeah, 22, 20, 23. You look at his bowling action then – I'm going to make a point here eventually, long way of getting to it. You look at his bowling action, uh, there, there's some old coverage of North Hats games before he moved over to Knotts. 
at that age, around that time, around sort of 20, 22, 23, something like that. And he looks, he, he looks like such an immature bowler. Right. He bounces to the crease, has that double build up, and he looks like the kind of guy who a senior pro could line up. Mm-hmm. And over time, his action became tighter, more compact. He was able to get far more revs on the ball, get over the top of the ball, thus getting more topspin, bringing the, the shoulder of the bat into play, the catches mm-hmm. in close into play. By the time he actually started playing test cricket consistently in 2008, at the age of 29, he was perfect. Mm-hmm. He was the exactly what you want him to be. He didn't need to develop on the job. And that's where I feel yeah. a little bit sorry for someone like Don Bess, who was kind of thrown into it at age 20, given a couple more opportunities. He'll probably play his best cricket when he's... 29, 30, 31, 32 as mm-hmm. well, like a lot of finger spinners do. But I reckon he might already be damaged goods because people have already th- made their minds up on this guy, that he's not consistent enough, that he can't dot upsides as a finger spinner, which is kind of the key job for someone in that role. He might get a lot better, but yeah, the, the, the beauty of Swan's career is that they didn't pick him until he was ripe. Mm. And for finger spinners, that's often a lot later than it is for, say, a middle-order player, where if you miss the boat when they're 24, 25, that can often be the best cricket you ever get out of them. So... Yeah, it, it, it's interesting about the art of selection that in different disciplines mm. you need to apply different criteria. Yeah, there's definitely something in that. That is Nerd Pledge. That's our two ninety nine for Tim Harding and Danish Babar. Uh, you can let us know, Tim, Danish, if we're right. If we're wrong, you can send us a message. You can get on the chat page on the Discord and let us know. And if you want to play Nerd Pledge, it's a fun game and you get to help us make the show. Double win and then you get to get on the uh, the chat page as well and hang out with nice people on the internet and talk about the cricket. Triple win and then you get to go to some meetups and uh, have some drinks and meals and hang out with them in person quadruple win why wouldn't you want to do that we're going to try and do a melbourne meetup the night before the world cup final that's our okay co- no, no two it's nights two before. nights before we're yeah wedding night before not not, mine. not ours not not ours not yeah. mine two nights before we will do something in melbourne we mm. might even do like a like a recording yeah we'll try and do like a bit of a world cup previewy sort of pubby sort of thing yeah I can yeah. see it happening. So okay. that'll be the next meetup. Although uh, we do swing through Brisbane and Adelaide, but we also go back to Brisbane and Adelaide during the test matches when we won't yeah. be so under the pump. There is so no way we'll have time to see anyone in Brisbane in, in the like no. 36 hours we're there. Um, and in truth, even though we were in Adelaide for a long, maybe in Adelaide between um, the semi-final and the final, there might be a, a little window or something like that. But um, but that's all ahead of us, but certainly Melbourne. Uh, and yes, the Sydney one the other night, because we've been darting about didn't quite make it to that but there'll be another one around the one day international which is on the 19th of november patron.com slash the final word if you'd like to get involved with no pledge that's enough from us for now let's take a break and then we'll hear from ryan campbell